At Morgan Stanley, old school hard work meets bold new thinking. At 88 years old, we still see the world with the wonder of new eyes, helping you discover untapped possibilities and relentlessly working with you to make them real. Old school grit, new world ideas. Morgan Stanley. To learn more, visit morganstanley.com slash why us. Investing involves risk. Morgan Stanley Smith Barney, LLC. Market insight and analysis. You're listening to the opening bell of CNBC Squawk on the Street. Good Tuesday morning and welcome to Squawk on the Street. I'm Sarah Eisen here back with Jim Cramer. Carl has the morning off. David is on assignment. He's going to join us, though, to talk Twitter in a moment. Take a look at futures right now. Not much follow through to that positive intraday turnaround yesterday where the market ended higher. Dow futures under a little pressure, down 180. S&P down 19. NASDAQ down 58. We've got a lot of earnings to digest, and we're going to begin on that earnings front. A lot of industrials to get through. What does it tell us about the economy? UPS rising in the pre-market on better-than-expected quarterly results, helped by higher shipping rates. 3M also beating on both the top and bottom lines in the face of what it is calling a challenging global environment. And then there's General Electric moving lower despite a quarterly beat. The company is saying its outlook is trending toward the lower end of the range, citing inflation and other evolving pressures. GE CEO Larry Culp will be joining us later this hour. Key interview with the stock down about 5% pre-market, Jim. For 3M and UPS, the stocks are a little bit higher. Could have been worse. Right? Absolutely. You know, 3M, new method of reporting, able to show you exactly what the organic growth is. Now, some people may object to the new method, which takes it so that you've got litigation risk off the table. You see how well they're doing. Uh, consumer health and safety up 3.4%. I thought that was good. Uh, healthcare plus. Church-based electric, a little disappointing. But, I mean, the overall uh, safety and justice, okay, the, the overall takeaway I have is, is that if you want to look at 3M as a pure company without litigation, you'll like it. But is that right? Do we really just asterisk litigation when you've got a giant settlement in Belgium this over, the chemicals over issue. water? Remember, groundwater is a sacred issue. And then you have the combat arms situation where you have tinnitus caused by battle, uh, of which there's going to be continual problems. They did win the last case, which is important. They've lost a couple of cases. Uh, but if you look at the litigation, you're talking about they've had 17 cents, 20, you know, 18 cents, 14, 13 cents. There have been a series of litigation issues that make you feel like, is it really one off or is it just something you have to live with? The 3M? Mike Roman doing a good job, but... But that's an overhang. Actually, the stock has turned around. It's, it's lower. Well, I think that when people look at the you know, look, what a groundwater and veterans who can't hear as well because of tinnitus, an issue that, I've, that I've looked in very close, not great. No. What about organic revenue growth? It, it came in a little bit light, according well, look, to some I mean, of the analysts. You know, what did we learn about the end market? If I see 2% organic for 3M, I remember the old 3M that obviously had higher, but... I mean, everyone's got these secular issues. I'm calling them secular now, which is that you've got geopolitical risk. Challenging uh, global environment. Yes. So let's just let's just say, OK, uh, I don't want to run to get it. The balance sheet good. It makes me feel a little better, given the fact that they have had what I call endless litigation. I like that the litigation is up front. It's no longer footnote number 64 uh, at the same time. Uh, and they did, like I said, the combat arms is not all losses. But if you wanted to right now, you could sign up for the combat arms litigation and they'll represent you. It's kind of like if a leaf blew in, 
they're trying to get all 280,000 soldiers. So I'd rather, I, to me, <laughs> I'd rather switch to Raytheon, which is a little bit better, or GE, which obviously uh, it, I'm going to have Larry Cole right. one. GE is, is something that's problematic. Uh, lower end of the range. Lower end of the range. Doesn't you sound can't good. do lower end of the range. Right. Even you if know, you maintain the numbers, actually, the right. guidance. And Raytheon, I think, is actually a good number, but there's so much black box, we don't know. Raytheon being so directly involved with the proxy state that has uh, become Ukraine. I do feel like if you take a lot of these numbers in aggregate, you can make a bullish case for the market that corporate America is in pretty good shape. The balance sheets, to your point, are strong. They're investing. The capital expenditures are up in R&D, and they, for the most part, are price, have pricing power. They're, they're passing it along. Look at UPS. Shipment's down, but the average revenue per shipment was up. So, yes, so, it was. so these things are going well. The problem is, is that the, is this the peak? Are they, are they just taking no, years no, of pricing no. power I mean, that's and just putting the, it in now, the, and then that's the as demand softens, that's, that's going to be a problem. I mean, look, we have China. It's obviously off the grid. We have Ukraine. I mean, the reverberations are Ukraine. We're going to talk about PepsiCo. It's from everybody. Uh, everyone has Ukraine. But look, <laughs> look United Technologies, the old, the old United Technologies, Raytheon, you need titanium. Titanium is sourced in Russia. But I agree with you on the overall analysis. It, it, there's almost like a great man theory. I don't want to get too deep into it, but some of these CEOs are really doing a remarkable job at a bad time. Judy Marks yesterday owed us four price target cuts. That's wrong. She just is doing an incredible job. Even look, better in China. I saw yeah, that interview. I, I mean, look, I, you've got service revenue, whether it be for, for Raytheon or service revenue for Otis, and yet you see the price target cuts. I mean, Mark Bitzer delivered a number that was really extraordinary. Well, what was the headline? Demand waning. Okay, so I spent a lot of time with Mark Bitzer. What's the real headline? Demand's on fire. This kind of thing really just bothers me. The reportage is so uh, uh, lacking in rigor. The fact is, is that if you're Doug Leary, Doug Yearly from Toll Brothers, you're going to Home Depot and Lowe's in order to be able to get dishwashers because there aren't enough of them. And he's selling Europe, which he might get five billion. He might get five billion. This is a very small company. He's raised. He's got a four percent yield. And this is a company where Mark Bitzer has put on the, the radar screen. They could be have. They could have a Chinese bidder and two Korean bidders. Didn't they lower guidance? Oh, that's nonsense. That's a kind of nonsense. That they're someone, also- <laughs> someone, chat, some computer generated that that doesn't even know how to read. I'm well, telling you, in second grade, oh, no, second grade, I did. I was tracked in the dumb class. Uh, <laughs> we do have a soundbite. Mark Bitzer, sure, obviously, they're that. dealing with inflation like everybody else. Here's what he told Jim last night, Whirlpool CEO, on that. COVID-induced inflation. I think we had a pretty good sense, and we dealt with it very well. And we also thought we had a pretty good grip on inflation coming into this year. But now all of a sudden you had a war-induced inflation on top of a COVID-induced inflation, so kind of reinforcing, flaring up. So that was the only one which caught us a little bit surprised. Probably like most companies, nobody had war on the horizon. But now we're catching up on pricing. We issued new pricing, in effect, in April, um, and we're fully catching up. And I think it's well-digested market. And if you have strong brands and strong products, you can sell. Strong brands and strong products. We're going to talk That's about okay. Pepsi. Yeah. We saw that with Coca-Cola. People don't realize we have companies that have developed brand power. This is against Bosch. They are, I can say that, although they do want to exit Europe, they're against, against LG, against Samsung, Whirlpool kills. Don't forget, more than 50% is actually in the kitchen. So they are going to rule from Alaska to Patagonia. Bye. 
Buy. And what, Buy. About, what about this restructuring? What are they doing with the Europe? It's, what, 20 or so I mean, percent Europe of the business? Weak area. Remember that? I remember when they moved into Europe probably about 20 years ago, and I knew that they were going to get the clock clean because basically what happens when you move into Europe is that you're up against the great German companies. But May, Maytag did well. Remember, they, they have a lot of brands. I really like the stock. I think it should be bought, maybe even aggressively. It is up, actually, pre-market. Well, it should. I mean, when you decide to sell a division of which you can have three bidders for, I like the story. Buyback, dividend. I'm just pointing out something positive in a sea of red, where the red is really dictated by the futures, not by anyone who's actually take, done the granular work like you and I have. Right. Well, it was interesting last night, yesterday in the session and the turnaround. Did you see Alphabet outperforming head of earnings? Alphabet is today? direct advertising. You know, a lot of people want to we'll get to Twitter. A lot of people are trying to lump all of uh, online together. Unfortunately, well, I'm saying I started an online company in 1995, and there's two streams. You want subscription or you want advertising. And then within advertising, you want direct response. You want brand. Now, I think that Twitter was about, by the way, to break out on direct ad, and I want to give them that credit. But the fact is, point blank, Alphabet is the single best ROI of any company in the world if you want to advertise, and no one can dispute that. We got some breaking breaking news. news. We got to get to Seema Modi. Seema, what have you got? Sarah, some news here. Carnival CEO Arnold Donald is stepping down as CEO after nine years on the job. He will become vice chairman. The current COO, Josh Weinstein, will become the new CEO of Carnival, the world's largest cruise line. This comes, of course, uh, amid a tenuous two years. And I will say at the last shareholder meeting, there was some pushback on Carnival CEO Arnold Donald's a compensation package in 2021 of $15 million. But of course, he has played a leading role in fighting hard for this industry to recover. Uh, And the industry is in recovery mode, with Carnival seeing around 75% of its ships back at sea. They've been moving on pricing and putting a lot out there in terms of marketing to get more customers to book ships. This summer will be the critical season for this industry to really mark this recovery. But uh, big news here, this is the world's largest cruise operator. And Arnold Donald, he's been the face of this industry, now stepping down as CEO after nine years on the job. Sarah and Jim. So you and, you and Wilf interviewed him, and I defy you to be able to say that he didn't save that company in the dark 100%. days of March and April. He came on in the darkest of times. Yes, I, he call, did. I called their ships a petri dish. I mean, this was like right after COVID hit, yes. and never thought you were going to go cruising again. And, and yet he, he shows defended up. the company. This Absolutely. man's a great man. And those who, I mean, I want to take on anyone who says that this guy didn't save this company. The company should have been bankrupt. If you remember, at the exact bottom, he was able to do a couple of bond and stock deals. And he did, didn't get a great coupon. But, the, but that company should have gone under. The Petri just should have gone under. Instead, I'm ready to sail, although I'm probably going to Norwegian. Are you? Why? I like the Haven level, and I you, think Frank Del Rio's done a good job. Why? Because you think the safety, they've done enough with the safety measures? Oh, they they also faced a tough CDC, absolutely. which regulated them, unlike... Well, the if airlines. it weren't for Governor DeSantis, then the ships would have been absolutely uh, pristine because it's not Petri dish because Frank Del Rio wanted to make it so you got tested right before you went on. Uh, yeah, I'll sail again. Absolutely. You kidding me? Stop it. back not, to pre-COVID you know, My daughter went on that, that music cruise that they did with Norwegian. You and I are going to pass on that, okay? Not not such a not such a cruiser. Let's hit Twitter, obviously, because sure. huge news yesterday afternoon when Twitter finally accepted Elon Musk's $44 billion offer to take the company private. The all-cash deal valuing the company at $54.20 a share. It's a 38% premium to Twitter's closing price on April 1st. Last week, Jim spoke out about getting this deal done. Remember what he said. Listen. If he wants it, again, he's got to go to them this weekend. Elon, listen to me. I know you don't. Um, 
you, my offer stays at this price until Friday, next Friday, and then it goes down to 48. It's an exploding offer the way we had at Goldman Sachs. You got 48, and then it's going to be 46. He's going to do that. It's going to give him an exploding offer. It's really going to be great. Well, actually, it didn't take that long. No, well, <laughs> look, they had a real process. Uh, Brett Taylor, that's co-CEO of Salesforce. You know, a young fellow, but uh, absolutely committed to fairness. Let's not forget the role that Egon Durbin played, okay? He's the Silver Lake fellow who also mm-hmm. did the remarkable Dell situation. Michael Dell's uh, one, of my, one of my heroes. So you had, Herb, you had Durbin on the board. You have Brett running a real process, and you had the possibility of 20 down versus three up. You're going to get sued by somebody. There'll be some inventive lawyer right now who says they should have gotten better, best in final. They should have gotten 56. Would you rather be sued for five or for 20? Uh, we had an incredible breakdown in these stocks in the period between when Musk took it up and this weekend. You know, I got to tell you, this business, which we're going to see, because obviously Zuckerberg's going to have down numbers. Everybody knows that. Tomorrow. Uh, this that business, reports. there are a lot of people are literally saying, okay. I mean, you've got to, you know, you got to fill it here. It's not bad. I mean, you've got Wolf just saying, this is it, broader bubble. It's all over. And then I try to think, if you're a Coke or Pepsi, where are you going to reach people? Where are you going to reach people in volume? Well, they, they, they advertise on all of them. Meta, yeah, where do you Snap. buy your G? You, so what? You think that there's still advertising Buy potential here on, on, on Twitter? What about yeah. Twitter? What about Twitter? future of Twitter's ad business? Twi- well, I thought that Ned Siegel was very close to me able to have a breakout with direct response where you'd be able to get, give them money and be able to make money. But I think that David may have another view entirely about what we're I think. About. I think the aforementioned David Faber joins us now by phone. He's off on assignment, but couldn't miss a, an, an M&A opportunity like this, David, to, to weigh in. What can you tell us? No. No, I can't. And that's right. I had to do it yesterday during your show, too, uh, Sarah, um, as well. But listen, we you don't see deals it. like this very often, uh, as long as I've been doing this. And in fact, you rarely see unsolicited bids that actually end up with a deal as quickly as this did at the price that was done. I mean, the only one I can come back to, or I should say originally offered, is, uh, is Murdoch and Dow Jones, where the 60 stayed at 60. Of course, it took a while to get the bankrupt family in line. This really didn't take a long time at all, uh, I mean, to Jim's point in some way. Think about the fact that he crossed 5%, what, on the 14th of March. Of course, we should have learned about it on the 24th of March. We didn't until a bit later. And now that we are at a deal where he's buying this company for $44 billion. But a couple of quick things to keep in mind here, just on the old uh, M&A um, uh, tick-off uh, various, uh, you know, key factors sheet, so to speak. Uh, could take as long as six months because of the various regulatory approvals that will be required. Yesterday, Sarah, when we were speaking, you know, there had been some thought perhaps that it might be a bit quicker, but it requires, you know, multiple jurisdictions, the EU, the UK, uh, Japan. So let's call it September, October before Elon Musk actually owns this asset. Um, the break fee, uh, we should get a merger agreement perhaps by the end of the day. I'm hearing it's going to be in the low range, um, meaning what Twitter would have to pay were they to find another bidder. Let's call it somewhere around 2 2.5%, something like that. Which means, listen, if things were to change dramatically over the next six months and some strategic were suddenly to decide they wanted to own it, it wouldn't cost them that much of a penalty to go ahead and do it. That's not going to happen. I think Jim and I both on day one, did not expect them to accept 54.20, but certainly something I've reported many times was there was likely not to be another strategic out there. Jim and I talked about that a lot when I'd say Salesforce. He'd say, no, Disney, no way. 
Uh, and private equity obviously could never mount a bid. As for whether there'll be a reverse termination fee, in other words, what Musk would pay, should he get out? No. Uh, he's got a, you know, there's going to be strong language requiring him to get all the regulatory uh, approvals and push through on those. Uh, and he's got his financing. Of course, the $21.5 billion in equity that he is guaranteed will be interesting to see. Does he sell Tesla shares to fund it? Does he bring in or syndicate his equity to some extent to potentially other people who might have an interest in, in owning a stake in Twitter as a private company? These are all on the come. And, Jim, obviously a larger conversation as well about what this company will look like when Musk is running it as a private uh, entity as well, the world's richest man with one of its most powerful platforms. You know, David, the margin loan that this man is taking out is monumental. Do you think Morgan Stanley has that stock in hand? Because this is something, maybe uh, Aubrey McLennan, late Aubrey McLennan did something like this, but most of us would think this is reckless, frankly. Yeah, well, first, I don't think, you know, it's not going to be your typical margin loan three to four times, right? It's, it's, it's going to be a lot tighter than that, right? You know that, Jim. Right. Um, I think they've got it in hand. I think they've got the $13 billion. By the way, those include, uh, that includes an enormous number of banks, as you know, the, the debt financing for it. Um, I, I'm not questioning any of that. I do still wonder where he's, you know, again, he's guaranteed the $21.5 billion in equity. We know he's good for it, but how's he going to raise it? Uh, and how much will it be going to other people? You know, will Mark Andreessen want to step up? Well, so who knows? Um, maybe that amounts to a few billion dollars along the way, or maybe it's more. I don't know. But that will be interesting, Jim. Does he have to sell some Tesla shares? Can he do other things uh, that will raise that, that money for him? Well, um, that's, so that's something we're going to watch. Here in some way. Uh, yeah. Okay, David, put me in the boardroom this weekend. Is it Egon Durbin talking? Is it uh, uh, Brett talking? Who's really doing the, uh, the decision-making here? That's a, great, that's a great question. I think it's a lot of different people, but certainly there, those two voices were very important ones. Um, you know, I, I reported this yesterday. There was no pushback from this board on 5420. They got their management projections. They know them. They got the presentations. You made the point, of course, how the market has... Uh, made that 38% premium. That was on the April 1st price. Look a lot lot better than that, right, given the, the comp set and what it's done over the last three weeks. Um, they knew there were no other strategics there. They knew there was not really any chance, as I said, that, that there could be another bid mounted by so-called private equity. That wasn't going to happen. And so um, when they looked at it and thought about, well, we can get, what, 24 times enterprise value over EBITDA, six times revenue, uh, and he said, take it or leave it. Uh, again, I'm told when they started talking on Saturday morning, he's like, I want a yes or no decision. And he sort of said, I'll let your holders decide otherwise, or you can let them decide. Let me go ahead yeah, with a tender so offer. Now, that was not going to happen. But nonetheless, <laughs> sort of presents to the board this possibility of, you know, fine, you don't want to decide, just don't make a decision at all, and we'll see what they have to say. But when they, they move fast, I mean, they move fast, and, and they said, that's it. It's, it's a rarity in so many different ways, including, of course, accepting the first bid. Well, he's also got another supporter in Jack Dorsey, the company founder who, who has tweeted that Elon is the singular solution I trust. So, so clearly a backer on that front. David, you know, we talked to Harvey Pitt, former SEC regulator, of course, may run into some issues here. Remember, it's kind of comical now that Elon first filed this disclosure as a 13G, that he was going to have a passive investment in Twitter, whether that was just an oversight or, or his intentions changed. I guess we'll dig into that. But what, what is your reporting? They, they, can, they can have some issues but not necessarily block this deal. Are there any antitrust concerns? Elizabeth Warren 
Um, and Congress has already made some noise, and, and this is becoming increasingly a partisan issue. That will become a, a question. On, an, on antitrust law itself, Sarah, it's very hard to imagine any possibility of them really moving to block this and succeeding. Um, but it doesn't mean that Elizabeth Warren uh, or that other congressional actions somehow couldn't uh, potentially put up a roadblock in some fashion. I can remember, you know, um, Pfizer, right, when they wanted to do it, the inversion, Jim, remember, uh, with Brent sure. Saunders' company. And unexpectedly, Treasury put up a, a roadblock that was that was that killed the deal. Um, it's hard to imagine that will happen here. But, Sarah, that's the kind of thing that would need to happen, something unexpected, something outside of sort of the typical process. Because from a pure regulatory standpoint, from antitrust view right now, there's just there's no overlaps. What do you what do you you know, SpaceX and Tesla somehow have something to do with Twitter. I don't maybe Starlink. I don't I don't see it. But David, aren't you shocked that the board presentation for current management basically came up, uh, let's say, uh, two of clubs? Because usually board can come out and say, listen, I got a path to go to 90. Uh, Did they not have a path or did they have a path that people felt wasn't going to get there? I think you're right, Jim. I don't think they had a path. I mean, not a path no that the path. board That's necessarily fully believed in in the short term no or even in the, in the medium Uncomfortable term. Uncomfortable reality, right? Piper says. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. Prag so didn't. He, he was giving some hands. Like. Yeah. Uh, well, anyway. But, you know, David, thank you for calling in, man. The CEO didn't get a chance. You know, that Prague didn't get a chance to actually uh, yeah, Prague get did. a chance. He sure didn't, did he? No, he did a good paper at MIT in 2012 about what to do in the situation. No, Wedbush calls it a last resort. David Faber, you could go, you could go back to your assignment now. Thank you. We'll let you know if we need All right, to. Thanks as for always. Going in, Sarah. My, okay. We're doing commercial free. No, it's fine. I just have one quick question for free? you, which is, what does it mean for Tesla? Because we did see Tesla go down. You can imagine a reality. Let's say, so Snap warned a little bit of maybe a turn in the advertising cycle. Let's say that really gets hit hard and Twitter suffers. Does Tesla get punished? Uh, I don't think so. First of all, I actually think there's a pretty good group of people on Twitter. They just haven't had a chance to execute. Uh, I think he's going to take a long time to be able to evaluate it. But remember, he does have a team. We saw that on the last Tesla call, by the way, where he did intervene. But he has a team. People think he's a one-man show. He's the opposite of that. He has a tremendous number. You would not know it. We got to go. Still to come, what Warner Brothers Discovery just said on its call about the end of the road for CNN Plus. And taking another look at futures here. We've taken a lug lower, down 246 as we head into the opening bell. S&P futures down 27. More squawk on the streets straight ahead. For more than a decade, Comcast has been committed to bridging the digital divide and connecting millions to affordable high-speed Internet. But the barriers to get connected go well beyond affordability. Through Project Up, Comcast is committing $1 billion to reach millions with digital skills training, resources, and opportunities needed to succeed in a digital world. Project Up, building a future of unlimited possibilities. Learn more at comcast.com slash project up. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration. Our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with P. Jim, a leading global asset manager. 
Take a look at the biggest losers into the pre-market here as we head into the bell. GE right there down five and a quarter percent. The company did reaffirm its 2022 outlook range, but said results were trending toward the low end of the range. Jim is going to speak with Larry Culp, the CEO of GE, in just a few minutes right after that stock opens. We'll be right back. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Three minutes till the open. Time now for Kramer's Mad Dash as we count down to the opening bell. DR Horton, home yes. builder. Yeah, Not you so know. shabby. Well, you, the largest. Uh, David usually asks me what's the key to this market, and it's easy to say that it's Raytheon or it's GE or PepsiCo. But but you know, the largest home builder reports a very good number. Uh, they uh, solid, solid, solid all the way around. Uh, big net income, $1.44 billion, $4 a share. It's much better than expected. But the reason I, I talk about this is that Don Donald Horton says housing market conditions remain strong despite the rise in mortgage rates. So let's put our heads, let's be in Jay Powell's head. I mean, does Jay say, darn it, I mean, when am I going to cool off this housing market? Or does he say, hey, listen, I'm doing it slowly and get a soft landing. And so Horton may be in the crosshairs. We, I would have loved to see moderation. But we didn't get that. Moderation went from the point of view that I don't want to hear that things are still red hot in housing. Uh, mortgage rates have gone up a great deal. But the answer is, it's red hot in housing. It's hot in housing, but the orders were a little bit lower. They're they're benefiting from higher prices. Absolutely, and that's driving revenue. Absolutely, so, so it's not and, like and they have a lot of uh, they have a bubble market kind of report, and, and they're warning that orders are lower. Although they did raise their revenue, they raised their revenue. Because because I mean, to me, that's the story here. They're doing uh, well, but look, and the stock I, was down thirty-two percent into earnings. Well, this that's year. okay. So let's get into that. Yeah. Uh, people uh, who are very smart are saying, you know what? This is completely discounting in uh, two thousand, two thousand eight, and. A, a scenario like uh, like the actual COVID. Um, yesterday's upgrade of AutoNation was really extraordinary, saying, look, the valuation has never been as low other than those three cases. I could make that Horton is similar. The valuation has never been that low other than those three cases. Now, we know that valuation itself is never reason to buy. Uh, but DR Horton was buying the heck out of their stock. So I just say, let's, let's keep track of it because housing is what has to stop. Now, Whirlpool would tell you it ain't stopping. And there's, remember, the work-from-home movement is still very important. Demand exceeds the pace of supply. That, yes. that was the other part of that, that sentence. Right. And that's the story. And, that, and there we have, once again, other than copper, everything's going up in these things. Copper, Dan Niles mentioned that a lot, but that's down China. here to date now. That's China. We haven't even China's talked China. problem. China was down again, even though they are going to stimulate, they which is are, the bull side of that story. Right. The self-inflicted nature of the China, we're going to look back and say, uh, there used to be a question about who lost China from the State Department. Who lost China from China? That is what this story is going to be if they don't fix it up. It does appear to be self-inflicted. By the way, there are the opening bells and the CNBC Real-Time Exchange on your screen here at the big board. The Arbor Day Foundation celebrating its 50th 
anniversary at the NASDAQ, we have Progeny. It's a fertility benefits management company. As we open up, we're down about half a percent right now on the S&P 500. Yesterday's big comeback was led by the growth stocks, and today is going to be somewhat of a decisive day. We've got Alphabet and Microsoft earnings. Both of them have been under pressure pretty much all year long. We open with some gains in energy and materials. Crude oil goes the other way today. It was down yesterday. It's higher today. It's still below $100 a barrel. The softness in China has actually put some pressure on crude, which is helpful, but for the wrong reason. Remember, our our oil companies have decided to go for a return. Uh, It's certainly a new thing. It's going to keep a floor on oil. So I I still think those stocks are terrific. Look, like yesterday when I said that you want to be careful about the upside, I feel it again. Uh, Think about it. We all, you know, Microsoft's come down a great deal. Alphabet, I think, is going to have his sales at 16 times earnings. I mean, it, to listen to the commentary on Facebook flat, you know, slash meta is to believe that he's selling, that Mark's selling his bestest. Uh, there is something there that he has. If he just talks about second half being able to defeat uh, TikTok with reels, then we're going to start saying, well, hold it, wait a second, maybe he's going to handle the mobile. Uh, remember, he went from desktop to mobile. Uh, and then he went against Snap. Everyone told us that Snap was his story. He's not a... Uh, he's also look, spending $10 billion on the Elon. metaverse. He's not Elon. Right. Um, but he's also... Uh, he wasn't born yesterday. Wanted to hit Pepsi because that'll be... It looks like a winner today. It's been back and forth in the pre-market. It's been a winner overall this year. A really strong quarter from PepsiCo. And it was across the board. It was Frito-Lay. It was... Pepsi Beverages North America, which isn't right. always strong. It was Quaker, which is also not always strong. Well, how about that and they merged Quaker with, with Frito-Lay? So they finally have mac and cheese Doritos. Yeah. My wife is very happy. It's but just it, changed from the bacon in. It's a joke, but that innovation is what has kept their pricing power well, pretty strong, and that's yes, really helping. Absolutely. We tend to not see innovation in certain places that we should see innovation. I was shocked that with Russia, such a big part of their mosaic, they still came through with good numbers. They did. Yeah, very impressive. No, and they raised their revenue guidance. The organic kept, growth kept, is kept extraordinary. The, the earnings guidance. Clearly, they're dealing with some cost pressures, as they all are. But I guess the question when it comes to a PepsiCo or really even a Coke gym is that these valuations have come up pretty far, and they're now trading at a pretty significant premium to the market and to their historical price. Yeah, we, but, we see why yeah. it's justified now, but can you be a buyer? Well, I think the answer is if you're yield-oriented, yes. You buy some here and buy some lower. Uh, the ingenuity uh, of Raymond LaGuardia, the ingenuity of uh, James Quincy is rather extraordinary. I mean, take a look at what she's doing with Topo Chico, uh, Quincy. He bought that for a little more than $200, uh, $200 million. That could be a $2 billion brand within the next 18 months. It was very hard to get in New York City. Finally, it. finally, it's back in, at Whole Foods, which is very exciting in my household. But it was tough to get. People go nuts for it, and now they're expanding it. Hard right, seltzer, that's a, this is alcohol. this is fizzy water, and the alcohol is going to be is taking off. Uh, I don't know if you've tried the dew uh, that hard has dew. alcohol in it. The no, hard dew. Hard dew. No, I haven't tried yeah, it. Yeah, my wife forbade it because of my blood pressure, <laughs> which is controlled by a vast. I don't know what she's so worried about. <laughs> but I do like very much the fact that both Pepsi and Coke did well, and I think that they were somewhat conservative. When you get an eight percent increase in core currency, someone wants to sell Pepsi. What, they want to sell for what? What do they want to do? I, I don't know. Look at Archer Daniels. I mean, there. That is was the a strong across the board. Nice oligopoly, right? right? You got Cargo, you have them. Well, they're in the right spot. I, I thought it was interesting that, well, for, first on Coke and Pepsi, you mentioned the currency aspect. Yes. The dollar continues to scream higher here. It's worth watching. We're now at levels back to pandemic when there was fear and people rushed into that safe haven U.S. dollar. 
Euro keeps tumbling. So that, that's going to hit results. But, but let me hit you with something you know better than anyone else I know. That you know better than anyone else I know. If I look at the yen, I see a country in decline. I, is that the case? <laughs> well, if you look at their currency, it's at a 20-year low. So what do we say? Japan is not in decline. They're just not as hawkish when it comes to raising rates. They're still battling inflation and they're still battling, you know, stagnation that they've been dealing with for years. And they're not going to do what Jay Powell or Christine Lagarde is doing because they're just not dealing with those kind of inflationary environments. It's not it's not a depressed economy. It's just compared to everybody else. They're they're not experiencing the boom. Demographic? Demographics are terrible. Just terrible. Aging population. But you know what? They're gonna keep they're gonna keep pressing for a weaker yen because it helps their exports. And it's happening maybe too fast for comfort, and that and that's well, a bit why of a problem. We, why should do you think our, our president and his team are, are, are well aware of what's going on in terms of being able to send things over here like the old days in the uh, in the late eighties? The automakers are gonna complain. Right? That's who that's who faces some of the stiffer competition. I agree with that. And they should complain. But you know, they've given South Korea a free pass. We seem to be so inconsistent in our in our, our protective workers that it sometimes amazes me. But this yen decline is something that you taught me. You gotta watch it because we cannot just asterisk that country. No. And it's and it, eventually it's gonna be painful because you never wanna see these things moving too fast and right. too far, and that's what's happening. Right. How about the ruble saving people because it's so high? Well, you well, can't really a- who knows what's going on there. They're that they're intervening, capital controls. Yeah, they've rescued their currency. But don't you think it's amazing? I didn't mean to interrupt. Sorry, but it's amazing that you've got Raytheon Technologies and you basically have a proxy state of Ukraine, which is buying a huge amount of stuff, which they don't really know how to use. I mean, this is kind of like uh, Afghanistan, U.S. At one point, I thought it was uh, U.S. versus North Vietnam when the Russians flooded North Vietnamese with tanks and artillery. Uh, But we're not going directly with the Russians. The global spending is up across the board. It's coming from Europe. Yeah. Coming from the U.S. And, and it follows a cycle where it's been lower, unusually, for yeah, the last what, year or so. Yes. What do you think of that Raytheon quarter? I mean, did you see the the the, the the engines, the jet engines? I mean, that area, if that comes back, if the aerospace guys are right that, that Phil LeBeau interviewed, that is going to be, get us out of this morass. That's going to break us out because you're talking about you're talking about 30 percent growth. I mean, I thought that of the companies that is unchanged right now that I'm watching, uh, the commercial aftermarket for Collins Aerospace, what a nice acquisition by Greg Hayes, up 39%. You've got Pratt & Whitney, it's up 37%. These are gigantic companies. Their biggest problem, of course, is labor because you can't find people who know how how to weld. Although aviation was was strong in the GE quarter, which we'll get to in a moment. We're done with Russia full stop, according to Greg Hayes of Raytheon. I also want to hit Warner Discovery because it's down sharply. Well, everyone's hitting it, so you might as well hit it. (laughs) Well, the CFO did comment and acknowledge, uh, of course, the shutdown plans for CNN Plus on the company's conference call this morning. Listen. Right or wrong, management has made a decision to invest a lot of the incoming uh, uh, funds into a number of uh, investment initiatives. And as I'm looking under the hood here, again, CNN Plus is just one example, and I don't want to go through sort of a list of specific examples, but there's a lot of, you know, chunky investments that are that are lacking what I would uh, view as a solid, you know, analytical financial uh, foundation uh, and, and meeting the, uh, the ROI hurdles that I would like to see for, uh, for, for major investments. Ouch. Called CNN Plus a chunky investment. That was... Well, that was Clearly not everyone was on the same page here. Zappos no, said that the company, junkie, excuse it me, does, junkie. It does seem that that plus was a suboptimal investment. It was ill-advised. 
But it was chunky and junky. Uh, Zavala is saying we're not trying to win the direct-to-consumer spending war. So really tr trying to be sound prudent on the spending game, well, especially in light of Netflix's, I guess, subscriber yeah, loss. I mean, didn't we think that a lot of the people who got that stock would say, well, wait a second, what did I get? Well, the answer is uh, open wide for chunky. <laughs> junky. The, 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 the direct quote was junky. Well, I think it's chunky. <laughs> it's chunky as well. Well, you know what? We have a tree here. I'm calling it a tree because I'm a happy guy, uh, which is the, the General Electric. Sarah, we happen to have Larry Culp, shares of General Electric, lower this morning after reporting first quarter results. Uh, and the company saying inflation, other pressures are weighing on its full year outlook. You know, Larry, it is great to have you on the show. Larry is the uh, GE chairman and CEO. Uh, good to see you, sir. Good to be with you, Jim. You know, La Larry, you know what I'm going to do? I am going to uh, start with the toughest thing, which is basically what J.P. Morgan said. Steve, too. let's get the toughest stuff out of the way so then we can have a little fun. Um, for the stock, says Steve Tusa, the dean from J.P. Morgan on this, or some people feel like it's Ahab, it was a miss, plain and simple, on almost all fronts. Profits were 12 cents below our model, below consensus number at the time of the February pre-announcement. It basically says that, you know what, you got to avoid this thing at all costs. So there, let's get it out of the way and talk about how maybe that view is short-sighted. Jim, I think we started the the year here in 2022, pretty much where we thought we would be and where we talked about this in late January when we wrapped up 2021. We knew this would be a, uh, a slow start to the year, and I think that's what you saw. But I think we're encouraged by orders being up 13%, very strong demand. You were talking about aerospace a moment ago. We saw that in our own business with orders up well over 30%, and healthcare was also strong. That didn't read through to revenues, unfortunately, because of these supply chain constraints that we've talked about. But we were up 1%, probably would have been up closer to 7 if we didn't have those challenges. But we saw a real strength in our revenues and services up 15%, again, led by aviation, but power as well. So we were really pleased with that. That's a little less exposed to the supply chain constraints. And from a margin and cash perspective, really pleased with the margin expansion of 110 basis points. And our free cash flow was up a billion seven year on year. So we know this is going to be a year where sequential improvement, like many years at GE, will be key. We very much, over time, have proven to be a, a second half story in many respects. But the combination of that strong underlying demand, led by aviation and healthcare, and the way I think we're improving the ways in which we run the business day in, day out, despite these inflationary pressures, despite what's happening in renewables and obviously in Ukraine, I think we're, uh, we're on our way. I really do. Well, okay, so you uh, have emphasized that the stock is cheap. Now, you've got $3 billion in uh, authorization. Is this the kind of thing when you see a stock down seven, you go to your board and say, you know what, this is why we have $3 billion in firepower to buy stock? Well, as you know, the board did recently put that authorization in place for a potential stock buyback. What we're focused on from a capital allocation, Jim, first and foremost, is making sure we set up all three of the companies as we prepare for our two-step spin to have a strong balance sheet to be investment grade as they prepare for their independent pass with healthcare going early next year and power renewables to follow a year after that. So that's really what we're focused on, but we haven't ruled anything out. We want to make sure we stay 
focused on the, the spin path. But we're going to look at options, including buybacks, but also other ways in which we might deploy capital uh, to include complementing what we're doing organically with inorganic moves, because there's a lot of potential, again, particularly in aviation and healthcare, but also as we think about renewables and all that will be required for the energy transition. NGE very much intends to lead that energy transition, to be sure. Well, I, I hope everyone knows that aviation is good. We can go over it in a second. Everyone knows renewables got issues. Why are you waiting till 2023 for a company like healthcare, which is going to be premier, de- definitely better than Philips, maybe even with Siemens, and uh, an industry where if you could somehow get, uh, let's say, supply chain issues solved, this may be the gem in a group where people want med tech, Larry, and they want med tech badly. Well, I think this is going to be an outstanding independent healthcare company. That's clear, Jim. Certainly in the, in the short term, we need to work through those supply chain constraints to make sure our output matches up with our demand. But we've got over a thousand people hard at work day in, day out, preparing for the healthcare spin. We just announced this program back in November. There's a lot to do to prepare to spin this company. Part of it is a function of the way that we have managed in a more centralized way over time. But we also want to make sure that the business goes out on the strongest possible foundation. So Pete Arduini, our relatively new CEO and his team, I think are, are, are doing all the right things to position this company to lead an innovation, to really be at the forefront of precision health. We're going to be able to do that in a way that not only drives the top line, but translates into good bottom line and cash performance. So I, I think this is a company that people will be excited about. I'm excited about the, my role going forward as non-executive chair. So we need a little bit of time to complete those preparations, but it's probably now less, as we sit here in late April, less than a, a year away. And if we can move sooner, we will. But that's the plan of record at the moment. All right, let's talk about something that people are not excited about. Let's go power renewables. Uh, I see a race to the bottom when it comes to wind. I see not enough new orders when it comes to natural gas, even though we know that natural gas may be the bridge fuel. We see that even from uh, from Mr. Curry. I'm wondering why we can't put together something which just says that this company is the answer for what is a quickly developing worldwide shortage after Russia, Ukraine. Well, Jim, that's very much the view that we have. Again, we intend to lead in the energy transition. I think even before the events in Ukraine, you've seen a much more pragmatic perspective on the ways in which the world will meet the sustainability goals we've set for ourselves. I think we're pleased that we now have a real trilemma conversation underway where it's not just about sustainability, it's also about affordability and reliability the world over. And when you think about what we do in conventional generation, particularly with respect to natural gas, we're seeing a host of different conversations today than we were a year ago. You've seen some editorials recently where people who I think were somewhat skeptical about the role of gas in the energy transition are now embracing natural gas. We've got customers who are very keen to understand our technology roadmap with respect to how we make sure our gas turbines can run on hydrogen blends and ultimately full hydrogen as that infrastructure comes online. I think with respect to renewables, clearly our play is primarily in wind, both on and offshore. And certainly, particularly here in the U.S., we're in a soft spot in the, in the U.S. market, and that hurts because we lead here. But if we can have Congress implement the tax incentives and other regulations to provide certainty with respect to the landscape, and in turn, customers can see 
how pricing is going to play out in this inflationary environment, I think we can get wind back on a better trajectory. Gas wind coupled with what's required in grid modernization, I think sets us up to realize those long-term aspirations that I think society has at large. And again, it's a great setup for GE and both our power and renewables businesses. All right. So let's go now to the good news, which is aerospace. Actually, quite surprised. Right, but I look at the company. I mean, now we're down uh, 18 points on this uh, split up. And yet at the same time, all that's happened is that aerospace has gotten better and better. And I think that you could argue from the airline numbers we saw last week, this is just the beginning. Uh, are you surprised, given the, the strength in aviation, that people aren't a little more turned on about the stock of General Electric? Jim, I have to admit, I'm, I'm not obsessing about the stock day in, day out. What, what I'm focused that, on job. is making sure. Uh, what I'm focused on is making sure that we're performing, that we're performing for our customers. We do that in a way that keeps this team intact and strengthening every day. And if we do that, the stock will take care of itself. It, it always does. And again, when you think about the tailwind that we have in commercial aviation, the improvements that we see in our military business. All that we've touched on with respect to healthcare and those opportunities for as far as the eye can see. And again, I think the role GE rightly will play in leading the energy transition. There's a lot of opportunity here for us. That coupled with what we've done from a lean and from a decentralization perspective sets these businesses up, I believe, to be on a path toward realizing their full potential. We'll do that as three independent companies, not one, but nonetheless, we will do that. And I think time will show that to be the case. Okay, so Russia, Ukraine. I, when I think of Russia, I think of titanium sponge. Uh, are you set up to be able to have enough titanium to be able to meet the orders? Jim, that's particularly relevant in our aviation business, and I think the short answer is yes. Really? What, did you manage to stockpile ahead of this? Well, we, we, we didn't stockpile, but we've got a, a, a range of sources. I think we've got visibility here over the next year or so with respect to what we need from, from those sources and we'll be able to diversify our footprint over time. Well, I've got to tell you, that's good news. And I want to end on good news because, Larry, I think that the breakup is bringing out value. Obviously, it's a torture time for American industrial. It won't always be. Thank you so much, Larry Culp, GE Chairman CEO. Great to have you on the show. And good to get him, Jim, to defend some of the, the negativity out there. The stock well, is down almost 9%. It has outperformed the broader market well, I mean, this I year. Think, I think that that Larry's doing a terrific job under incredibly difficult circumstances. Let's not forget, he wasn't given necessarily a good hand. The supply chain problems with healthcare are just extraordinary. Remember, they, they dominate MRI and CAT, and, uh, and it's just, it, it, they can't make them. When you can't make them, you can't profit from them, you know? It's across the board, 3M CEO Mike Roman just saying on the call, we expect supply chain challenges to persist for the foreseeable future. One day we're going to be able to just say, oh, yeah, supply chain, and put a little. Remember that? Remember that crisis? Yeah. yeah. Before uh, we yeah, head we to really break. have to go here. Okay. Time for the bond report, though. Want to take a look at Treasuries. See they're faring this morning. They're getting bought again. Second day in a row, we're seeing some yield reprieve, well, lower yields. stocks. That's what's driving 2. things. 2.74. seemed to help some of the growth stocks yesterday. We'll see if that changes yeah. today. We're down 244 on the Dow. We'll be right back on Squawk on the Street. 
Dow down 283 in the early going. Got some pockets of strength there in terms of leadership. Merck, Verizon, Dow Chemical, which had a good quarter last week. Home Depot, kind of a mystery there on consumer forget, spending and housing. Don't forget, the biggest weekend of the year. And Amgen, we've got 3M as the biggest weight right now on the Dow. 3M and Visa, along with Boeing. So most stocks are lower here in the early going. Financials are the biggest loser on the S&P. We'll be right back. Time now for stop trading. Jim. Two, com- two companies decide, decide to split into three different companies. One is GE and one is J&J. Mood of the market, GE stock is now down gigantically 18 points. Johnson Johnson is just a juggernaut. Why? Because all three divisions are doing incredibly well at J&J. I continue to think the stock can go to 200. So what's the market's problem? Well, the market's problem is, is exactly what you said about Pepsi and Coke at one surety. It's gone up enough. Yeah, J&J has, J&J's MedTech division 2% growth to 8% growth. Uh, Larry Culp's MedTech division, not great. And we talked about the cash flow. Negative, again, in the second so, quarter. Jim, what do you got on that tonight? I've got uh, uh, Callaway Golf. I'm not a golfer, but most people are a watch. And then I've got Chipotle. I am a Chipotle eater, and if you're not, I don't okay. know what you're thinking. Uh, you know, what can I say? Brian is terrific. I know people are going to talk about labor costs, talk about food costs. They've had pricing how about, power. They, well, I was going to say, how about the fact that their stuff's better, like PepsiCo? Have you tried the G? The what? The G. The G? The Gatorade G. Oh, the G, the Gatorade. No, I haven't tried it. Purple G I like the, the spicy snacks. You've been listening to the opening hour of CNBC's Squawk on the Street. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and... Producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America.